Good morning, Northbrook. Today's text will come from the book of Psalms, chapter 13. Psalms, chapter 13. If you're reading from the House Bible, that'll be on page 423. If not, it'll be up on the board. I mean, screen. Psalms, chapter 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of God. Well, good morning. It's good to see you, brothers and sisters. Glad that you are uh, here. You look good. So you got that going. Uh, I am Randy Fuller. If we haven't had a chance to meet, I'm one of the pastors here, um, and I'm just excited to, uh, yeah, to be able to uh, be here. I'm just honored to be able to proclaim the Word of God this morning uh, for us, and we're going to jump into a new series, as uh, Will had said, called The Grace of Lament. Um, and so we're in the season of Lent, and, and, and we're going to be diving into the next four weeks. We're going to be diving into this series where we kind of talk about the biblical practice and the discipline of lament. And I know sometimes that, that there, there are certain words that we can have aversions to, um, like maybe we don't uh, know his, or we have history with it. Maybe we don't know kind of uh, what is, uh, is meant by it, or it seems scary, or just be confused altogether. And uh, about why anyone would just kind of want to sit around and be sad. Um, and so I, I want to contend for us today that, that lament is not only something that we should be practicing uh, as believers, but uh, it, I, I want us to see that that ability to lament, like the opportunity that we have to lament, is a God-given, grace-filled gift. And it's a gift that comes from God Almighty himself. And so uh, we, we've got a little bit of work to do on the front end before we kind of jump into Psalm 13. Uh, so we're going to look at, uh, at that. But uh, again, this, this series is going to run through the majority of Lent. Next week, Dustin will be preaching on Psalm 77. And then Jake uh, will take the last two uh, of it to work through the book of Lamentations. Um, and, and we're going to learn uh, kind of from lament and then learn how to live with lament. We're just going to kind of look at, at all the aspects here. Um, and so, again, we're, we're going to kind of talk about up front this framework for lament and what it, what it is, what it isn't, what it means. Uh, and, and for this series, man, we have leaned very heavily on a book uh, that, that some of you may know. It's called Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. Um, and it is, man, I cannot recommend that book highly enough to you. Um, I wish we could buy everyone a copy. I actually told a few people that we were going to do that because I thought we were going to do that at some time. And then uh, Jake was like, no, we didn't do that. And I was like, oh, okay. And he goes, but hey, now they have something to lament about. Um, so there you go. I'm sorry I lied to you. Uh, but we do, as I say that, we do have a, a few copies back there uh, if you want to uh, want to pick one of those up. So 
lament. Uh, th- this may be uh, something that, okay, so, so the idea of lament, kind of, uh, kind of uh, focusing on, in on kind of our, our uh, toils and our trials and our suffering and our pain and our hurt, uh, some of that can come more naturally to some than others, right? So like for me, I, I don't know why, but I've just always been drawn to like the sad songs, Right, it's just those, those are the kind that, that just speak to me. I think that they just have the deep emotion and for whatever reason, they've just resonated with me uh, more often than not. Like there's an there's a Alison Krauss song, which Alison Krauss, she's just like ranch dressing, right? Like life's just a little bit better with it. Um, it, it she has this song called Ghost in This House where she walks around and she's like, I'm just a ghost in this house. And I'm like, this song's awesome. Like it's, and she, I heard her talk about it one time uh, in an interview and and that was her reaction. She was like, this is the saddest song I've ever heard. We've got to, we got to cover it. Uh, and, and so that has just been like, that's easier for me. Uh, but, but there are some that that's, that's harder to kind of get into that, that headspace. Um, but uh, what I hope for us to see in this is, is, um, that if you are, if it's, if it's harder for you to get in that space or, or kind of wrap your head around that, if, if, if you can even get to the point of saying, well, I don't have anything to lament about, like, it's, it's not true. Like, there, there is much to lament. There's much to lament in this life. And there's much that's been redeemed, and there's much to celebrate, and there's much to claim victory over, but there is still much to lament. And I don't, I don't think you have to look very far to see that. We know life is hard, and we know that we will have trouble. Jesus told us that, that in life we'll have trouble. We're not surprised by that. But we don't have to look hard in our lives or in the lives of others around us or, or just turn on the news. Uh, we, we don't have to look very hard. There's much to be sad about, much to be wept over, much to be angry about, much to be distraught over. And, and what, I, what I want us to see is, is lament then the, praying and, and entering in t- while we're, the pain is there, claiming the promise, lament is an ultimate act of trusting the Lord. It, it's the ultimate act of, of turning to him in our pain, not away from him. It, it's, it's, it's a singing in a, in a minor key, a, a worship song, and, and it's a way of bringing our pains, our fears, and our struggles, and, and our agony to the only one who can actually do something about it. The only one who can actually move and redeem that. Because listen, if we just sweep our, our pain and our anger and, and our frustrations and all of these uh, feelings and all of these emotions, if we just sweep all of that under the rug or if we just minimize it or if we take it to literally anyone else or, or anything else uh, and, and give into the sorrow and the anger, then we're going to end up more than likely somewhere we definitely don't want to be. Like if we, if we take our frustrations and anger and we, we take that to alcohol or we take that to uh, maybe even something morally neutral that, that's like the, on the internet, like there, there's so many things that we can just kind of turn to to kind of numb or ease pain. And, and we don't often turn to the Lord. Maybe that's just me. Maybe you guys do that perfectly. But this is where, yeah, we, we, we will suffer when there is an absence of lament in our lives because it, it really is kind of an incomplete picture of life. It's an incomplete picture of it. Lament gives us a way to kind of redeem that pain while we turn to the Lord. And so this is why, again, we don't just sing all the songs that are happy, 
right? It, we, we, it makes us seem like life is happy. And if you come in here and you're not happy, well, then pretend like you're happy. That, that's, not, that's not what we do. And I'm all for, again, I'm all for celebratory songs and, 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 and songs that are, are focused on adoration and praise. That's, that's part of life. But we can't, we can't give way to one and, and neglect the other too much because it's an incomplete picture. No, we acknowledge the brokenness in the world and in us, and we offer it to the one who fixes brokenness by making all things new. Uh, so Mark Vergrop, he, he wrote uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy. And he defines lament uh, in this way. It says, lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. I'm going to read that again. Lament is the honest cry of a hurting heart wrestling with the paradox of pain and the promise of God's goodness. And I love that. I love that picture, that because that paradox of pain and the promises of God's goodness, because if we ignore that there is a paradox there, or, or, or if we kind of try to pit them together uh, against one another, it, that's a false dichotomy. It, they're, they're not pitted against one another. It's not that I'm in pain or God is good. And even though we're tempted to feel that at times, that it's not that. It's not a sin to feel that tension here. Because to pray a prayer of, God, I know you're not mean, but you feel like it. It feels like you are. It actually takes an immense amount of faith to pray something like that. An immense amount of trust to turn to the Lord in that way. To acknowledge the promises of God and to acknowledge our pain. Then, then let, that let's lament connect them kind of in that space between. So nearly one-third of the Psalms, at least, uh, least one-third of the Psalms, are ones of lament. Uh, in, in this different category. And that's, that's a big chunk of them. It's almost like God's trying to communicate something to us. And these prayers of pain lead to trust. Prayers of pain that lead to trust. He, he's given us this grace of lament. That's why we're calling this series the grace of lament. He's given us this. And, and I hope, again, through this series and beyond that we can learn to, to kind of lean into the suffering and lean into our pain and not shy away from it. We're not going looking for it. But, but when suffering comes, when pain comes, we know what to do with it. And so we want to talk about a, a kind of a biblical pattern uh, of lament. And it's not found in every psalm of lament, but, but it's fairly typical. There's, there's kind of four uh, sections in, in some form or fashion. And, and so this is the biblical pattern. We'll put them up here on the screen. It's turn, complain, ask, and trust. Okay, turn, complain, ask, and trust. And before we talk about each one of these individuals, I just want to, there's a couple of things I want to say. One, lament is not always linear, right? Lament, grief, pain, suffering, it's not always just, okay, we're going we're gonna to turn, and then we're going to complain, and then we're going to, no, it's, it's much more fluid than that, right? Like sometimes we can sit in one longer than another and then go back to another. It's not always linear. There's a fluidity to our pain and grief and sorrow. So that's the first thing I want to say. Uh, and then two, these Psalms are not always a prayer that is prayed in one sitting. So, so it's not always that you sit and you lament and then you put a bow on it and you move on, right? Sometimes we sit in one of these elements for a long, long time. 
And while lament is a, a path from kind of heartbreak to hope, hope is not always as comforting to us as it should be, right? If your friend has recently miscarried, hope can almost feel cruel to put before them while there's still fresh tears in their eyes. It takes time for us to move through this process because if you're trying to jump uh, to, to trust before you even turn to the Lord or, or bring your complaint before him or ask something of him, then, then you're still going to have this pain that feels like it's setting itself up against God's goodness. And so all of this leads us to a point of being able to trust and trusting that God is big enough to handle our feelings, our emotions, our pain, our suffering, right? And as Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. The great theologian, Tom Petty. Because we live in, this is, this is the hard part of this, we live in such an upgrade uh, there's new iOS. We gotta we we gotta get updated there. We gotta uh, there's there's fast rewards. This digital culture that we want everything anytime we want it. We want it that instant, right? There's fast food, rapid rewards, all of these things, and and it it can train us and 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 shape our minds to think and to want discipleship to be that same way. Discipleship, sanctification, our spiritual growth. We can want all of those things immediately which is really hard for us. But life, discipleship, sanctification, even relief from the suffering, it's not just an app that we can kind of open up when we're bored and start up, finish, and then swipe closed. It takes time. Okay, so we're gonna quickly kind of talk through each one of these elements and then we'll, we'll jump into Psalm 13. So first off, turn. Turning to the Lord. We turn our hearts towards the Lord and we address him. And it's not to say that we're, we're not turning to other people for counsel and comfort and, and these things. God has given us the gift of community and the communal part of lamenting. It's not that we're saying not to turn, but, but we're turning to the one who, again, ultimately can do something about our sorrow and pain. It's, again, it's not always wrong to turn to other people, but oftentimes it's too easy for us to turn to other people and seek advice or help or counsel from other people before we even turn to the Lord. So first we turn. Next, we bring a complaint. And this one may hit some of us differently uh, but because some of us are, are not very good at complaining and some of us are very good at complaining. Don't look at your, don't do it. <laughs> It's not the time you're going to get in trouble. But some of us are good at complaining to others, but might struggle with complaining to God. It, it might feel wrong, right? Because we've taught ourselves that that's, I can really talk myself out of it. Like that I don't need to be kind of, I don't want to be seen as a complainer or, or I, I don't want to bring that to God as much as I can feel like I shouldn't have a complaint with God. Like I can, I can, Feel that complaint and then go, well, I shouldn't, I should get away from myself. Or I can kind of hold on to that complaint and, and kind of gospel myself out of that too quickly. Like, oh, I shouldn't be feeling that way. I should be content, should be grateful, or even uh, I can kind of lean too heavily on like depravity. Like, oh, you don't even deserve to complain. You're a wretched sinner. And yes, all of that is true. All of that is true. Most of it is true. Yet when we rush past grief and sorrow and pain and apply the gospel as if it's this neat little package 
a neat little bandage that we just kind of place on pain. It dishonors the gospel and it really stunts our own healing. It can stunt our own growth. I mean, we, we have nurses and doctors in here. They're not going to have a bullet wound patient and just put a Band-Aid on it. That's not how that works. I love Andrew Peterson. He says this in his, thing, in his song, Always Good. But he says, this heartache is drawing me closer than joy ever could. I mean, it's the, the bitter that makes the sweet all the sweeter. But we can't rush it. We can't rush that as much as we want to. So that's complaint, bringing our complaint to the Lord. And then next we ask, we petition God to, to intervene in some way or to move in some way to do something about the affliction, the sorrow, and the pain. So we ask of him. And then lastly, there's a trust. And, and there's a turning towards the promise while still in the pain. And listen, this one is... And I want to say this in a way that you can hear me. This is so very often a choice. It's, it's not a feeling. Because just like that song we sing, I, I need a reason to sing. I can't feel you anymore. I don't, I don't feel like you're there. I need a reason to sing. And then make that choice and say, but I will sing to my God, my King. It's, it's a choice that brings us there. Mark Vagrop says it again this way. Honestly, praying this way recognizes that pain and suffering often create difficult emotions that are not based upon truth, but feel true nonetheless. In all we feel and all the questions we have, there comes a point where we must call to mind what we know to be true. I love that quote. We have to choose to trust even when we don't feel like it. Or, if we're really honest, even when we feel like God is not trustworthy if we feel like he is mean, we choose to trust that he is who he says that he is and that he, he will bring redemption for everything that we are enduring under the sun, even if we don't see it this side of heaven. We've got to trust what we see in 2 Corinthians four seventeen through 18 to be true. It says this, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things that are seen, uh, as, we, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now, this verse can be used as a weapon, right? If somebody's right in the thick of it, or you're in the thick of it, and you read that, it's like, oh, it's just light and momentary, what, like, what, what's the big deal? This is going to be you know, Eternity is going to be awesome. This is going to make it feel like nothing. Like that could be used as a weapon. But, oh, the depth and the grace and the warm blanket that that can be. If we truly believe that there is not one thing that has gone wrong that will not be made right. If we can trust that God is who he says that he is. That when we go through hardships, God is doing something in us that is going to make us even better worshipers of him in eternity. That he will get more glory out of our life then and on this side because of the pain and the trials that we walk through. Which, which is what we want, for God to be most glorified in our lives. That's what we're hopeful for. 
that he would make sense out of this mess enough for him to get glory. Otherwise, all the pain, all the sorrow, everything is for naught. It's meaningless. But he can do something with it. Our suffering, pain, trials, they're not pointless. And God is not mean. Even though that can feel like a truth sometimes. But we know that's not the truth because God has told us the truth and he's given us this way of praying so that prayer can lead us into trusting him more. And so, again, we'll be talking more about lament in the coming weeks and, uh, and, and about what it looks like uh, individually, communally, uh, and, and how we can make this a regular rhythm in our life. But, but today we're going to look at Psalm 13 and we're going to see, man, David's honest and fresh agony as he prays this prayer. And we'll see three of these elements in Psalm 13. Uh, he, he kind of, his, his turn and his ask are, or his turn and his complaint are, I mean, he comes out of the gate hot. And they're right there. So I'm going to read this again for us slowly and then we'll, we'll chat about this. This is Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long should my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I'm shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. You feel that pain. You feel that sorrow. You feel what he's bringing before the Lord in, in just this unbridled, unmitigated way. And, and in these, it's only six verses in these six verses, David definitely covers a lot of emotional ground. And so we're going to break up this psalm in, in kind of two, two, and two verses. And we're going to see that, again, he's com combining turning and complaint. And then we'll see him, the, the ask for deliverance and then a, choose, a choice to, uh, to trust and remember his faith. So he starts the psalm off, again, it, it's a fairly typical David fashion. Uh, and it's one that uh, I love this Spurgeon would describe as his heart being way more out of tune than his harp. Uh, and I think we have much to learn from David here. Again, I, I just wonder how often we, we, we thought that we shouldn't complain to God or bring these to him. Like we, we can preach to ourselves, be content, be grateful for what you have. No one likes a complainer. And don't we tell our children that too? Or like, hey, you're being entitled now, son. Stop complaining. Yet here... And we see David lean into this, and, and he lays it all before the Lord. He accuses him of some pretty rough things. I mean, first off, we see David accusing the Lord of being forgetful. And now can you imagine if, if David were to walk into uh, our church or community group and, 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 and start talking this way? Like, if he were to come out of the gates swinging with that kind of talk, don't you think that we would immediately try to jump in and correct his theology? Don't you think we'd be tempted towards that? That we'd be like, David, you're wrong. 
Don't say that. You're believing lies. The Lord doesn't forget. That's terrible theology. And he doesn't hide himself. Psalm 19, Romans 1 tells us that, that uh, God reveals himself in nature, so no one has excuse. It's somehow you think differently than the Bible. You're not acting very kingly, are you? You're not hiding. You're not acting like a man after God's own heart. Yet what we see here in David is, is a raw, unfiltered honesty before the Lord. He, he's feeling what he feels, and, and he, he, as an afflicted son of God, feels the liberty to take them smack dab in the middle of this trial and to pour out his complaints to his father because he knows the character of his, of his father. There's an intimacy here that makes this where David can feel comfortable bringing his complaints. I mean, he, he is angry, he's desperate, exhausted, and he's at the end of his rope. And I love how Eugene Peterson describes this as if David's saying, Long enough, God. You, you've ignored me long enough. I've looked at the back of your head long enough. Long enough. We see David in his, in his agony. In his pain, he brings it to the Lord. He doesn't try to clean himself up first. He doesn't try to couch his feelings. He doesn't gospel himself too quickly. He doesn't try to nuance anything. He doesn't preface it with anything. Again, he just comes with it. And four times, he brings four complaints. And he asks the question, how long, God? You've forgotten me. You're hiding from me. I'm alone, and my enemy is winning. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe a situation with a family member, a friend, somebody at work. Maybe just a wrestle in your own head, striving to feel God in a drought. That just encourages us to bring our complaints to a God that cares, to a God that knows. We teach our kids all the time that our God wants to talk with us. He wants us to bring those things. He doesn't, he doesn't want to turn away. He doesn't want us to turn away. It's funny, last week during uh, communion, I didn't, I didn't clear this with him, but I joked about it, so it's fine. Uh, <laughs> uh, Hallie, sweet Hallie, came in during communion, and as soon as she saw Bryce, I mean, it was dead quiet in here, and she just saw Bryce and goes, Dada! and ran towards him, and I was like, Dude, what an incredible picture of communion. What an unbelievable, she, she didn't think anything but her dad. And, and, and she didn't carry any shame or I shouldn't uh, be excited to see my dad or, you know, I spilled my Cheerios earlier and I shouldn't have done that, but, but I can't come to, you know, she didn't deal with any of that. There's just this unbridled, I'm coming to him. And it was beautiful. I hope that was okay to share. Sorry. <laughs> if not, just we'll cut it out of the recording. It's great. Nobody, the Men in black, red light. You guys remember? <laughs> that took a turn, man. Okay. We see, we see clearly here that, that, that God wants to talk with us. David is bringing his complaints to God. And, and we see in all kinds of other scripture, like Job, that uh, God is big enough to handle our complaints. And, and not only that, but then he meets us there. He meets us in the pain. It's not an offense to God. Again, it's an act of trust. Todd Billings, in his book, Rejoicing in Lament, he says this, It is precisely out of trust that God is sovereign, that the psalmist repeatedly brings laments and petitions to the Lord. 
if the psalmist had already decided the verdict that God indeed is unfaithful, they would not have continued to offer their complaint. Such an act of trust. And, and we know that this is true. We know that God has not forgotten us and he will not. We, when, when we turn to the Lord, we know that he's faithful and ultimately he will not forget. Isaiah 49 says this, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. And anyone who has ever had a cut or some sort of injury on your hand can tell you it's not easily forgettable. If you are in Christ Jesus, the Lord has your name engraved on his hands and he sees you and he understands and he loves you and he's there with you in the suffering, in the hurt. He loves you. But we see David doesn't stop there at the complaint. He pours out his complaints and then in verses three through four, he asks the Lord to deliver him from them. He says, light up my eyes. Man, what a beautiful request that is. To ask the Lord, give me eyes to see you in this and in all circumstances. One is hard to see. See, David understands, even though he's bringing those complaints, and, and in the, the first one, he's, he's accusing God of some pretty heavy things. He understands the Lord's glory and his promises, and he knows the character of God. So when David is saying, unless lest my enemy, unless my enemy wins, he's referring to the enemies of God prevailing over God. And he knows that that's just not going to happen. It simply won't do. David knows that God will never lose his children that he would never leave his children because that would mean that he is not capable of saving, which would reflect, reflect poorly on his glory and his character. And David understands that. He knows that. And so he presses in. He presses into the Lord and begs him to show up, so to speak. He's cashing in on God's promise. And he's saying, for the sake of your own name, God, please help. And he asks for deliverance. And then we move on to trust. And, and, and we see in verses five through six that, again, in the middle of this agony, that David makes a choice and he takes a turn. And we see him reminding himself of God's love and his mercy towards him. He, he knows that, that the victory is ultimately won. And he casts his mind to the unfailing nature of God. He's pleading with his flesh to be reminded and overcome the agony of the short term. He knows that his victory is as sure as one. I had a professor in college that, that used to talk about one of the greatest tools the enemy uses is kind of getting us to hone in and think in windows of about two to three days. Because it takes our eyes off of the big picture and all we can see is this pain and the sorrow or whatever this situation is. Two, three days, two, three weeks, whatever it is that, that we, it tricks us into thinking that that's all that matters. Because if he can get us to take our eyes off of the big picture, he can get us to kind of nasal gay, navel gay, nasal gay. <laughs> I don't even know how to do it. 
He can get us to navel gaze. And then, and then just turn inward, and, and then we just stay in verses 1 through 2. So this is what David's doing. This is the cycle of the believer, is it not? Suffering, trials, tribulation comes. Again, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Not you could have trouble, or you might. No, you will have trouble. So suffering comes, and David shows us a beautiful way to respond here, to lament, to bring that to the Lord, to turn and take your complaint to the Lord, to ask him to help, and then choose to trust and and remind yourself of his goodness and his promises. But here's the deal. Just because David prays verses 5 and 6, it doesn't make 1 and 4 go away. Like it's, it's still there. He's still in the pain. He's still in the agony. He's still in the suffering. He's still in the longing for something that is not there, that it's not tangible, that he longs for. And I know enough of our stories to know that there's some of us in that right now. That there's something that we are walking through that's new and fresh, or there's something that we've been walking through for years. We're asking the Lord and we're complaining to the Lord, and and we can almost get tired of bringing it to him, can't we? And that can kind of make us think that he's not good or he's not trustworthy. But I want to lay before us that he is who he says that he is. He loves you. He sees you. He cares for you, and he is He's in this with you. You're not alone. He's with you, and you have a church community that's here with you. And man, what a gift that is to have a tangible representation. Like, it's one thing to know that, that the Spirit is with us. It's another thing to see the effects of that and to see flesh and blood. They're there for you and love you. What a gift community is, man. It doesn't make verses one through four go away. Like again, he's not, he's not just praying verses five and six and then kind of putting a, a little bow on it and be like, ah, this sucks, but I shouldn't feel that way and I'm gonna choose of trust. He's still in the mess, still in the trial. People are still trying to kill him. And in that place of agony, he's, he's honest. And, and verses 1 through 2 produce verses 3 through 4, which then produces 5 and 6. Again, it, it's okay to feel verses 1 through 2. It's okay to bring those to God. Well, let's trust in him and, and, and ask him to help us move to three and four and five and six. And listen, this is only possible if you are in Jesus Christ. Like he's, he's the one that felt verses one through two as much as anyone to the fullest degree. And without his finished work, we have no hope of getting to five and six. Without Jesus Christ, you are stuck in one and two. Maybe three and four, certainly one and two. 
and we have no hope of getting to five and six. He suffered and died the death that we deserved because of our sin. Because our sin was such an offense to his holiness that we deserved death. And he took that on. He took our death. And then he rose again from the dead, conquering. For you. For me. And he now gives us a life that reconciles us to God in a way that we never could on our own. Jesus made it possible for us to lament and to be heard by the Father. To be received by the Father. It's hallelujah to the King of Kings. And I pray that we would be a people that lean into the Lord. I've been spending a lot of time in that book. (laughs) Uh, I pray that we would be a people that lean into the Lord during our times of pain and trusting because we can trust that he cares for us and he meets with us. He meets us with his promises. He's a good God. Spirit, help us to believe that. Yeah, let's pray. Uh, God, I thank you. I think that, you, that you, you have not left us. You will not leave us. You will not forsake us. As deserving as we are of those things because of our sinful behavior, our sinful choices, as much as we deserve that, you haven't left us. You made a way for reconciliation. And so, Jesus, would you be honored and glorified in our pain? Would you be honored and glorified in our suffering? God, would we feel the freedom to bring our complaints to you? Would we cash in on your promises, Lord, that we would trust in your character? Wouldn't just sit in the trials and anxiety before remembering to turn to you with them? Spirit, would you remind us of your goodness? even when it doesn't feel like you are, even when we don't feel like believing that you are. Would you help us, oh God? We thank you, Jesus, that you have made a way. Would you help us to trust you more? We love you, thank you, and we praise you, even in the midst of, even in the midst of broken life. Would you help us to praise you? Let's do Christ that we pray. Amen.